fellow fiends. Welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John, and today we are talking about two found footage films from two brothers. The Dowdle Brothers. Now, if you haven't heard of them, you will know of two of their films that we're talking about today, I'm sure. One of them has been in the news a lot as of late because it has been a long time coming. I'm talking about 2007's The Poughkeepsie Tapes. Finally released for the public, such a shame that this movie has more or less been the bootleg that's circled everywhere. I know, we'll get into it in a little bit, but um, yeah, this film, I'm so happy we are finally officially talking about it. And the second film we're going to talk about today is 2014's As Above, So Below. This movie deserves a second watch. I know a lot of you out there do not love... Well, I don't know about you guys. Critically, at least, I know that the film does not have a... Very much love at all. Yeah. When I talk to people who appreciate found footage and just horror in general, it seems like they like it. I have met more people that like this movie than hate it, but when I go online, it's a different story. Yeah. Very hard to read reviews on that film. Especially because I love it. So... <laughs> that might be it, right? We're just blinded by love. But before we get into those two films, let's hit up with the What's Keeping Us Creepy segment at the top of the show. As you can tell, I am feeling better. My voice is back. I still have a stuffed up nose, but feeling better. So I am feeling more creepy than last week. <laughs> and that's your segment? That's what's no, keeping you creepy? No, I was just giving the... The, the flu update. shot, guys! <laughs> Get it! It's free! for Well, for us. Get your flu shot if it's not free. <laughs> our PSA of the week. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise you're just like a walking incubator of death. And that's yeah, kind of creepy. It's basically, the blue shot doesn't work. You're like, yeah, that's because it's an educated guess by scientists. <laughs> Are you a scientist? Guess. No, you're not. That's what it is. It's like a hodgepodge of like, hmm, what strains do we think are going to be in the end this cold season? It's not like this is the medical profession's version of like the September issue of, was it Vanity Fair? It like, is kind is, of. No, it's yeah, not. Yeah, the flu shot 2017. What's in the end with influenza? Oh, can you, can you imagine <laughs> the commercials for this as though it were a cologne? Just like one long hallway and just an echoing cough. <coughs> <coughs> flu shot. Get yours at JCPenney. Do they have a pharmacy in JCPenney? Or is JCPenney closer to Old Navy than it is Target? I don't know. I don't know that I've ever been in a JCPenney. Me either. <laughs> I don't think it's for me. <laughs> I don't know. Do they have men's clothes? I don't think so. Yeah. I think it's a ladies thing. But I mean, it's from another world where all shopping was for ladies. And that's just ain't right. 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 <laughs> All right, John, what is keeping you creepy this week? Very simple, actually. We have a new patron. I want to give a big shout out to Mark. Thank you so much for your monthly pledge, Mark. So if I was a detective and I had to comb through hours and hours of footage of grisly murders that you committed, surely I'd come across one where you're just like scrolling on the internet, contributing to this cool podcast, and I'd be like, oh, what a nice guy after all. Let's just put the rest of this in the trash. Oh, the balloon popping and assault. Right? Oh, the, <laughs> we're going to get to that. The balloon popping is probably the most unsettling part of this So movie. unsettling. Okay. Also, one other quick thing. Shudder announced that they are doing a horror talk show called The Core, hosted by Mickey Keating. 
talking. Finally, a fucking talk show you could give a shit about, right? You know what else is a good talk show? What? This one. This is... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's hosted by Mickey Keating. Like, probably the most prolific young director there is. The dude is Who like... Who is Mickey Keating? He directed Psychopaths. He directed Darlings. He directed Pod, Carnage oh. Park. We saw Psychopaths at Overlook. Yes, yes, we did. Yeah, okay, one of us did not fall asleep watching it. I, no, don't say that, because it sounds like such a huge insult, but it was, it was a really long weekend of, like, movie after movie after movie, and we were right next to the projector, and it was so warm. <laughs> it was so cozy. Right now, if you go to Shudder, there is a Halloween special that they put out uh, just ahead of Halloween, where they talk specifically about John Carpenter's Halloween, but beginning mid-November, it's going to be a weekly series where he brings on special guests like Elijah Wood and Rodney Asher from, you know, Room 237 and Primal Screen. And it's going to be a horror talk show where they talk about the psychology that builds fear, that works with horror, and also how they do practical special effects. You know what I really hope for this show? What's that? That they set it up like a legit late-night talk show, but instead of New York City skyscape behind, it's Godzilla, like, invading the city. Oh, that'd be incredible. Right? But they never pay attention? Yeah, there, but I think that would be so fitting. But what's keeping me creepy this week? Kim, what's keeping you creepy this week? Thank you, John. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, sorry, you got to hold for the applaudience. Applaudience? Yeah, the audience applause. Uh, applaudience, I like that. I wish that was actually a word. I did <laughs> fuck that up, but I tried to roll it. With was it was good. I didn't watch Trick or Treat before Halloween this year, and it's one my greatest sin of the year is that I didn't watch Trick or Treat, and I felt so, so guilty when we got home from our little trip that we took. We were in Niagara Falls last week for Halloween, and we had a laptop that didn't have a DVD port in it, so I couldn't watch it. And also, yeah, our TV situation was awful. We had no AMC during the end of Fear Fest. It was really upsetting. But, um, yeah, I got home, and I just had this, like, it just dawned on me that I hadn't watched Trick or Treat yet and I felt so awful as a horror fan like I committed one of the greatest sins of not watching or like you know when you just forget or you miss a tradition and it's it's really soul crushing so I watched it I think November 3rd or November 2nd whatever post Halloween and I thought it was so fitting to talk about at the top of the show because it was also a film that really struggled to get released. Sure, it was oh man, yeah. Sitting on the shelf, made and ready to go, sitting on the shelf for a while. And I think Trick or Treat and Poughkeepsie Tapes, both films sat in that post film purgatory. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting is they both were teased to audiences. Trick or Treat had trailers that were pulled. Fuck and yeah, they did. Poughkeepsie Tapes had marketing that was actually pulled. So people were expecting and looking forward to it. And it's something that kind of was promised and never delivered. So I think audiences for both films had been clamoring to see them and just didn't have a a way to see them. Yeah, it's nuts. I'm almost positive I have DVDs that contain previews of Trick or Treat. You know, like a copy of Donnie Darko or something that I would have bought in high school. It was just like, hey, coming out next summer, this amazing movie that you're gonna fucking love. Same with House of a Thousand Corpses. They advertised that movie for fucking years. Yeah, well, with Trick or Treat especially, like, I remember it advertised right at a time where I was getting into horror pretty seriously. Seriously, Seriously. I remember waiting for it to come out, and then it wasn't for, like, two years. I was like, what happened to that Halloween movie that I was supposed to get? I never got it. (laughs) And then that was finally went on the internet, and you're like, wait a minute, we were just denied it? How dare you give this to me and take it away so cruelly. But I remember we bonded over pretty early on. I was like, do you remember this Halloween movie that was supposed to come out? You're like, yes, I have seen the trailer. I'm like, I have seen the trailer. 
It's so funny. You will occasionally run into people that know that pain. That's like a pre-internet pain where you just like you want to know something but you can't. Wikipedia isn't prevalent yet. <laughs> we don't have answers and we don't know who to turn to. <laughs> Should we ask Jeeves? <laughs> okay, when you went on Ask Jeeves, did you always type it in as though it were a question? Oh yeah. It's not like Google where you just type in like words that are essentially just strung together like trick or treat release date why. Like <laughs> when come trick or treat. Yeah, and Jeeves will I didn't understand can you rephrase the question oh, like fuck. you are the worst butler why do I pay you <laughs> <laughs> it was a good transition though from those text-based MS-DOS video games and the Google we have now that was the bridge that went between you're like open door and it's like what door and you're like okay fine open the door on the east do you have the key like there's insert Bing <laughs> You use Bing? Do you ever use Bing? I don't know what Bing is. Bing is a search engine. Oh. You gotta Bing. Oh, Bing. Well, I meant Bing in Hugo's House of Horrors, which I never knew what it was, and I Bing. Was, I think it's Elastic Band, and yeah, you have to enter it in the thing, and you have to type in, in the lab. Uh, Bing. Was this Insert a, Bing. Was it like a UK game? Like, did you never win because you didn't type in Torch instead of Flashlight? I think it was Torch. Oh, oh my shit. god! Wait, 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 wait. Was it like a catacombs thing? Was it a no, legit it was in a house torch with like zombies who were having a dinner party, and then like to not be eaten by them, you had to put them. Out mask on and join the dinner and if you got really far in the game which is the farthest i ever got there's a mummy in the basement but he always kills you okay i have never played those games and there's like a shed out back with an axe and there's a bathroom and there's something written on the mirror and then you're in a laboratory and then if you drink the wrong potion you get shrunk all small but see this sounds great except for the fact that it's essentially like it four pixels your own... yeah <laughs> okay so i thought it was just text like i didn't even think it was photos. mostly text like that's how you move was all text like you're like look in the door under the stairs yeah that just sounds awful. <laughs> I mean, like, it sounds fun, but net now, no. No, I would never I would never go back and play that game. I would play it. I've been looking for it. <laughs> I do this thing every once in a while where I remember a game from my childhood and then I just get on eBay and it's a dark, dark day. Yeah, essentially. I'm like $80. For a floppy disk? Ah, like parts missing. You're like, oh no. <laughs> Still worth it. So then you're doing this like, okay, is it cheaper if I buy half the parts from this guy and then the other half from this guy or is it cheaper to get the mint condition? Oh my God. You're like the shipping alone is not worth the cost. Could I please combine. I did that with the Goosebumps game. Oh, I can't even remember what it's called. It's a board game. Yeah. yeah. And Bump of the Night. Maybe. I had it as a kid and I used to play it every summer at the cottage. We kept it stored under the couch and I would pull it out once a year and get to play it. I loved that game. And we sold the cottage and the board game went missing. And I remembered it a few months ago and I was like, oh my god, I need this game. And I had that obsession thing and I went on eBay and it was like $80. Yeah. I was like, fuck. And then I found it at Value Village for like $7. It's missing a whole bunch of parts and a lot of the characters are like chewed because I guess a baby got to it so they got all wiped down with Lysol wipes and they don't stand but it's great and I have the game yeah Value Village <laughs> is a thrift store guys just in case you were I don't know if Value Village is like a local thing or if it's I don't like a think big so it, I think it's like a corporation alright improperly priced corporation I know I said I got the game for super cheap but shit is expensive there yeah Whatever. They're like, thousand piece puzzle, thousand dollars. What I've found a lot lately are uh, VHS from Israel. And now it's just like, I just want an Israeli cover of every horror movie I've ever loved. Did they have regional VHS? Like, we have regional DVDs. How would you do that? You know, it's know. like, Maybe you have to have like the right different... tab popped out on this VHS for <laughs> it to like play. a different crank shape or something. <laughs> a different crank shape. I would say that crank was an accurate description for how a VHS fits and spins. A crank goes in the thing. A and crank. then. It... <laughs> no, I, I get it, I get it. A gear? What do you... It's a crank! <laughs> we'll go with crank. 
Uh, what's the word then? I would probably just say assembly. <laughs> like, oh, the, the assembly of this VHS player. Whatever. Let's talk about these movies, because we've been keeping it creepy far too long. I really thought that the, the VHS talk would be a good transition to the Poughkeepsie tapes. <laughs> oh, yeah, because that is a lot about VHSs. Right. Let's pretend this did not occur. <laughs> is that not what makes this movie the most terrifying? That they're not, like, digital content? Well, we've talked about this movie a lot. By the way, we're going to talk about the Poughkeepsie tapes first. Today, police made a shocking discovery in Poughkeepsie. A third body was found here today. A Poughkeepsie couple vanished over the weekend, seemingly without a trace. Do you mind if I film this? I'm making a little movie about my trip. talked about the Poughkeepsie, we've talked about the, this is so hard to say, we've talked about the Poughkeepsie tapes a ton of times on this podcast, I'm sure, I know we've talked about it at least a few, and we have had a pretty legit looking bootleg for a really long time. I'm going to stop you right there, when you open the case, there's a photo of the poster of the movie, and then underneath says, copied from the original material, all costs paid are for the transition requested by customer. So in other words, I'm not profiting off this film, I'm profiting off my services for copying the film for them. Which basically means that by buying it, we are saying, we own an original. Yes. We're soliciting the bootleg material yeah, and I'm... they're just providing the service that Absolutely. we have requested and they are not responsible for the material. Yeah, so in there somewhere we're supposed to have given them the original, requested a copy, paid them for that, and taken the copy home. But I honestly, I'm going to covet that copy forever because it's lesser quality than the official copy, but because this film is comprised of documentary style footage and video cassette recordings, the shitty quality actually enhances oh. The film. 100%. But I think it should be said that this film has been such a long time coming. We said this at the top of the show, 10 years, and I doubt the filmmakers have seen a single dollar from this film. So if you likely, if you've seen it before the release, buy the film. It's with Scream Factory. They just released a Blu-ray and a DVD of the film, and it's the first time it's been made available legally. So please give the filmmakers some money. It's a really awesome film, and as I said, they probably haven't seen a single dollar from it. The fact that they've released it this way probably aren't expecting much of a return from the film because Mm -hmm. it's been making its way quietly through the community for years. So if you saw the film, and if you liked the film, or if you're still looking to find the film, you can actually acquire it legally now. Yeah, absolutely. Chances are you've seen it. I get it. No big deal. We're all in the same boat. We all broke the law because we (laughs) couldn't get it. You owe it to the filmmakers and everybody that worked on this movie. The lighting department, the sound guys, fucking everybody to buy a copy of it. Well, and this film, it's got some really interesting elements for the theater experience at the end of it. So sad, And this film deserved that theater experience. And had it have been released when it was, there wasn't all of this streaming service pay-per-month system, this film would have received a theatrical release had it have come out when it was supposed to. Yeah, even limited, right? I'm really hoping that the long-extended word of mouth will treat this film as it did Trick or Treat, which is about to get the sequel treatment because it's got such a cult film status. I hope people appreciate this film in that way so we can see it kind of doing tours in genre and offbeat theaters doing late-night screenings because I would love to see this film. Can you imagine if this 
like hits the festival circuit next year. That would be <laughs> like, awesome. Like the Suspiria 4K. Like this year, we're we're showing you the 1080p Poughkeepsie tapes front and center. Like I would be there so fast. Yeah, especially because it would probably be filled with an audience of people who hadn't seen it. Oh, that'd be nuts. Right? If you haven't seen it, or it's been a while since you've seen it, and you're unfamiliar with it, it's a documentary. It's a found footage faux documentary. Yeah, it's not real. Yeah, we... But that's where this film becomes so effective, because it feels very real. Go into it with that kind of illusion when you watch it. Watch it like it's real. Oh, yeah. I think I try to do that with every found footage movie because it's good. And I think when they start using, like, special effects and they go over the top, that's where it loses you. Because you really want to believe it's real. Mm -hmm. In fact, when they were filming the Blair Witch Project, the directors, whose names fucking escape me right now, they were saying that they never told the actors what to point the camera on. And that's one of the biggest problems with found footage now. Because if you are shooting a documentary which is how they approached it, you're only going to turn to look at something after it's already happened. So occasionally you will see just a shadow go by instead of the action of somebody coming in and making an appearance. Yeah, actually, that's how goes. side note, I think that's what's really effective about Cloverfield because of how long you go without seeing the creature, which mm-hmm. is really effective in a movie-making situation because budget-wise, that's really expensive to make a 50-foot monster. <laughs> and when you're only seeing his foot for an hour, <laughs> I mean... That you could do. He does have to crush cards and stuff, though, which is super expensive. I'm so but... excited for that next Cloverfield movie. And I'm, I don't know what goddamn thing about it. Nobody right? does. Yeah, no, well, yeah. <laughs> it was supposed to come out this October. I think it's coming out in February or something. I have no idea when Yeah, the there's been is. some shuffling around. Because like... they're so secretive. There's this secret society of fans around the yeah. Cloverfield universe because J.J. Yeah. Abrams is so crazy about creating this world for his fans. It's like its own immersive game. Yeah, it is. It's like a mystery. But... I can't do it. <laughs> I want to get it. It's too much it. work. Yeah. I mean, if you're into that stuff, you should check out the Cloverfields podcast. I don't know if they're updating it much right now because I don't think there's a lot of news about the game that they do. I don't even know if you call it a game. It's just like extra information that sort of has to do with the film. Yeah. Those guys are nuts about it, though. It it is crazy. And they're pretty funny. The Poughkeepsie tape starts after everything has happened, right? Because we are walking into a house where it all went down. And we are talking to investigators after the fact. It's almost as though, well, it is a history of a serial killer. And what makes, what sets him apart from a lot of other serial killers is that he has videotaped absolutely everything. And numbered them. So you can see his evolution as a murderer, which is so cool. (laughs) Cool enough in a movie. No, it's awful. (laughs) Awful, terrible. When you you watch this pretending it's real, it is nuts. Especially when you see what his first victim was, who his first victim was. You remember this? Yeah, so he kidnaps a little girl (laughs) off of her front lawn. (laughs) What an unsettling moment in that movie. It is very creepy because the thing about the tapes is that they play a little too long, almost like an amateur documentarian would compile the footage. It's so uncomfortable because they start a little bit too early and they end a little bit too late. Especially with the Cheryl Dempsey footage like later on. Okay, yeah. That scene is so long and it's just unsettling is the best way I can describe this film. It's not terrifying, but it is unsettling in a way that will sit with you until you watch it again and renew that feeling. (laughs) Yeah, when he meets that little girl on the lawn, they're talking about how he probably one day just decided, like, maybe his wife broke up with him, you know, maybe he lost his job, he went off the deep end and just got in his car and said, the next vulnerable person I see is dead. And that happens to be, like, this six-year-old girl just sitting in the lawn, playing with her toys. What's crazy is that we don't actually see 
anything in this moment. It's kind of like the, the scene in Scarface where the guy gets his arm cut off, except you see even less. You, the camera turns away, and it sounds like he hits her in the head with something, and the camera shakes and hits the ground, and then we are rushed into the car, and you are left with this deep sense of what the fuck did I just watch. Yeah, and I think what's so upsetting about it too is she's she's very young, but she's a smart girl. She's obviously been like stranger danger taught. Uh, she she's yeah. very short with him. She tells him she doesn't talk to strangers. She he's he like you want to look through the camera? And she's like no. No. But I think it's interesting that she has her guard up right away and mm-hmm. so do we. So we immediately identify with her and she's like disposed of very quickly. Yeah. And in short order, we see that he is just evolving into almost like a supernatural type serial killer. Like, this guy is crazy intelligent and just throwing the cops off at every step of the way. One, I mean, there are so many fucked up scenes. I can't say one of the most unsettling scenes every time we cut to another piece of footage. I know. <laughs> but holy shit. I mean, I think the gif that everybody's familiar with is the girl that's tied up in the basement. And he's crawling toward her on the floor with that fucked up masquerade mask. On the t- top of his head so it looks like he's doing like a crab crawl backwards Nuts. I actually uploaded that clip in my story last week while we were watching the film Yeah, I had so many messages in my inbox that next morning what are you watching? Oh people didn't know people didn't know that's, uh, oh, and that's I, didn't, I didn't message anybody back because I know a lot of them are listeners and I wanted them to hear us talking about the film before I was like cubesy tapes and then they'd be like oh this is crap and then we talk about it and they'd be like oh <laughs> I want to recommend it to somebody good when I tell them about the Bikisi tapes. You know what I mean? Like, I want to set them up for it. Yeah. One of the next victims that we see is a couple. This is also all intercut with moments in the future where we're talking to investigators who are explaining what it's like to look at the film. Yeah, right? like in psychologists and professors and stuff. Yeah, and, and also the, the lead investigators that came into the house. And they're just pointing at spots in the backyard like, oh, we found three bodies here. We found a couple and their 10-month-old baby there. There was a 16-year-old girl here. Like, it was just a farm of dead people. <sighs> but yeah, it's nuts when he is starting to get good in fact i think that's actually the chapter section of this movie i think it's getting better which is kind of crazy to see when you know that you're just getting better at murdering people (laughs) but he is pretending to be a hitchhiker whose car has broken down and it isn't until afterward that the investigator is breaking down how this is shot that you realize how sinister it is because you're so used to the camera moving and showing you what it wants to show you that when you are seeing a person who is being chloroformed and the camera's right in their face you forget to realize that he can't see where he has his hand yeah like he's our cameraman we're we're yeah. so used to, we're selfish kind of as viewers. We want to see action properly. And it kind of is this meta moment in found footage where they're showing us the action. But for him to do that would have to be really calculated and really terrifying. Especially to not show his face on the film as well. Because and that's a big thing. He never shows his face. He's always either got a mask or he's just completely obscured. Yeah. So he's filming it from the back seat. He's got his arm ahead in the front seat, in head of her, while he's chloroforming her. Keep, yeah, keeping her face, like, right in frame. 
That's nuts. And obscuring himself. Also, by the way, beheaded her husband, cut open her womb, put his head in there, and stitched her all back up. And then woke yeah. her up to see how she felt about it. And you're like, like what? I've got a surprise for you. <laughs> I did not even notice it at first. When I'm first looking at it, I just go, was that a head? Nah, probably just her intestines, then we cut away. But when the criminology class is watching it, and you see the students just having visceral reactions to it, you know that what you thought you saw is what you actually saw. Uh, one of the coolest things, I think, though, about this killer that they crafted is how, I mean, he's cool and he's calculated, but his M.O. is basically just to trip up police officers. So most serial killers have a type. That's how they're caught eventually because they follow a pattern and they're able to associate all their murders with them and predict what they're going to do next and where they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And this guy seems to just love killing and it doesn't really matter who or where or what. Because he starts with a little girl. He gets a couple. Like, these are, di these are M.O.s from all different serial killers. He gets a young girl alone in her apartment. There's a, a pretty important part later on in the film when they start to suspect that this serial killer is revisiting his corpses after he's disposed of them and after they've died and is committing necrophilia. Mm -hmm. And they keep finding semen on the bodies and they think that they're finally catching this guy. And it ends up being a police officer because they get all these reports that somebody's been picking up people in a police uniform and la la la. And the semen matches the police officer and they find DNA in his house. Yeah, he's, he's framing somebody else for these crimes. And not only is it that he's doing it, it's that he's created another serial killer. Like, he's out there doing his thing, but at the same time, he's also, like, pretending to be the Green River Killer, basically. Like, a cop that abducts these girls and then, yeah, frames this other police officer with his semen, who apparently has some sort of reputation for visiting uh, prostitutes. Yeah, well, they even used the the true story about how Ted Bundy told police officers... Okay, I'm gonna stop you right there, because... Rewatching this movie really screwed with my head because I remember having conversations, probably with you as well, where I was under the impression that Ted Bundy did help police officers investigate crimes like the Green River Killer. And seeing this section in the movie where they visit him and he says, oh, you should, you know, probably watch the body and see he if he probably comes goes back. back. I don't now know whether or not that is a truth. Or if you think it's this? Yeah, I think this might have just been injected into my head and because I've, like, thought about it so much, now I just assume that it's true. I do, I don't think he, like, aided police officers that much, but I know that that's a true thing that happened. He told them that he was probably revisiting them and Got that's it. how they caught him. I, I know that they attribute that to Ted Bundy. Okay, got it. It wasn't just like a Hannibal Lecter situation where he's, let me read the files. And that is a terrible I'm Anthony gonna, Hopkins impression. I'm gonna paint a fine art about it and get back to you. <laughs> okay, can we just like pause for a second and say that the landscape portraits, the little pencil drawings that Hannibal Lecter does are gorgeous. He's doing these whole areas of Spain that he's seen once. Well, he's basically a Michelangelo of cannibalism. Like, okay. He is this savant in everything. He appreciates the art and fine music and yeah. and fine food. Who is that kind of person that can people. just recite poetry? <laughs> they love the beauty of art. Cannibals, John. Okay, just cannibals? cannibals. I'm going to keep that in mind. <laughs>
aristocratic Hannibal. That's the scariest thing, though, about Hannibal Lecter, is that he has self-control. And he is educated and smart, but that's his scariest weapon is, or at least his most terrorizing weapon, is that everything is something that he has consciously decided to do because he's so in control of his faculties, because he's a smart man. Yeah, it's, it's again, it's like he has that supernatural aspect where, what if a serial killer was everything that it needed to be to survive? Which is who the guy is in the Poughkeepsie tapes. I don't even think they really have a name for him other than just the videotape killer? What do they call him in this movie? I think they just uh, call he's got killer. a couple things. I don't know if I wrote them down because at one point they attribute all the um, the necrophilia killings to this certain location killer. Oh, that was the Lovers Lane killer, or, or something. something like that. Yeah. yeah, and then they they catch a police officer and they execute him for it. Thank you. I was like, they murder him. Like that's <laughs> they not, murder. That's him. not the term that the let's not get political here. Uses. Kim. Yeah, <laughs> like they murder him most foul. <laughs> and this is something that I've seen a few times now, but it's probably the first time that I saw it and I absolutely love it that to try and solidify this in the real world uh, this guy was executed and he was then also exonerated is that the term? Mm -hmm. Acquitted of all crimes he was found innocent days after his execution but it got buried in the news because it happened September 11th 2000. Well it happened on September 12th My mistake. But because uh, I took notes um, <laughs> okay. yeah that moment for me really founds this in reality mm -hmm. and it makes the rest of the movie feels so real. It's got this bureaucracy moment where it's just like the whole world wasn't reading page 12 of the newspaper. No, they were no, no, reading no. pages 1 to 5. I would say that that moment in the movie, coupled with the videotapes and the documentaries, makes this a historical drama. <laughs> I think this is the Silence of the Lambs done in found footage. <laughs> oh, I agree. But yes, I do enjoy this movie. I do like it when something that's trying to establish itself as real does play with uh, moments in real life. Yeah, and it's unfortunate it's coming out when it is um, last month. It's in a rise of true crime television and true mm -hmm. crime documentaries and even podcasts. Like, Serial came out a few years ago. Making a Murderer Took the World by Storm. The Staircase, even. But it's coming out in a really good time because horror is doing really great and true crime is such a hobby now less than it is like um, a strange interest like I think it's more culturally accepted to be into dark and strange things it is now it's unfortunate how quiet this movie's been released because it's been such a long time coming but I think it's gonna be adopted really well and I hope some people watch this and get really really creeped out because it does feel really really real yeah and if you want something that's going to feel very real because it's a dramatization of some of the darkest moments in American history of the last 20 years. The Dowdle brothers, they were putting out a miniseries called Waco, obviously regarding Waco, Texas, and all of the, the crazy shenanigans that happened with that nutso cult. Yeah, I'm really excited to see that. It's going to be interesting because I would classify them as horror filmmakers, but they have been branching out. They've done a little bit that isn't quite horror. They did No Escape, which came out, I think, last year with Owen Wilson. I didn't... Oh, that's right. Yeah, I didn't it's, see it, but... Yeah. It's essentially behind enemy lines, but if you got to drag your kids along with you. Well, you're like a comedian and you're not a buff hero. <laughs> um... <laughs> 
I think the casting on that is great. Is it the movie for me? Nope. Uh, didn't see it. But yeah. it'll be interesting because I think Waco is going to be a strange hybrid of genres. I think it's going to be more like Thai Westy, a little bit Wild West, okay, a little bit horror, a little bit documentary style. Like I wouldn't be surprised if there are a few handheld shots in the series because that's kind of their roots. They do a lot of found footage. Yeah, and a, a big part of that story, it's it's kind of a push and pull between the incidents inside the building with David Koresh and his followers, we'll say. The FBI and the news broadcasters. I think the news is where you're going to see that found footage stuff. P.S. Michael yeah. Shannon's in this. It's going to be incredible. Michael Shannon is the best. Right? I can't wait. Can't wait for anything that guy's he? Is he the head of the FBI or is he head of the news or whatever? I think he's the... I think it's FBI. I mean, I've only seen a teaser trailer. and I didn't come You know what? Right. It's not FBI. It's the... Um, the ATF. Yeah. It's yeah. the... Tobacco, arms, Al- alcohol, whatever. Alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, yep. Are they a government thing? Are yes, they, they are, are yeah. Are they police? Yeah, like, they're the ATF. It's I thought like they the... were like the FDA, where it's just like, we approve <laughs> of this tobacco. This is grade A. Grade A firearms. No, yeah, like the like, DEA. Good job there. Um, This is functional. Rather than specifically just the Drug Enforcement Agency, it's the it's the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms stuff. But is that a branch of the FBI? Yes. Like, is it FBI, ATF? Okay, I, I don't necessarily know if it's part of the FBI or anything, but yeah, yeah. It is a public division, oh. like in the same way. I literally that thought the FBI it was like CIA the are. FDA. They were like the putting FDA. their stamp of approval on stuff, and that's all they did. They were okay. just like a bureaucracy, and they were finally like, "No, they're putting a bad light on guns. We're gonna get them ourselves." Yeah, well, I think that the problem was that they were like a militia. They were stockpiling ammunition and weapons, and I, I know very little of the story other than that people say that the FBI killed everyone in that building, which is... They did, from, kinda. Yeah, it's, I mean, it seems like they set it on fire while they were inside, but that, hey. Well, that's the problem is, is, like, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. It's That's why they're making a show of it, because it's one big gray area that imploded. So. Oh, yeah, totally. It's gonna be really interesting, because you have these characters that are essentially victims of the actions of the government, but the guy leading them is a fucking monster. I wouldn't... I I would just say nut bar. Okay. Let's not pass nut judgment bar. yet. Okay. I'd... We haven't read the entire Wikipedia page as of recent. <laughs> but back to the Vakipsi tapes. <laughs> this movie is dark and unsettling. That said moment you were talking about putting on your Instagram story is terrifying just when you see it as a gif. But what you don't see in that gif is the rest of the clip where he just like fucking stabs her in the neck and blood starts to come out of her mouth that's been gagged with tape. It's just, like you're saying, it just it lingers too it's long. It's too long. Well, and it's too slow to start. The room is empty for a really long time, but the way the camera is set, she is so little of the screen that you're not watching her. You're watching the big empty space and it's mm-hmm. grainy, crappy footage and it's really um, grayscaled out and the backdrop is just like a cement floor and it's just white gray and there's nothing in it. There's nothing in the space so you're watching it and then something crawls in from off screen and it's this extravagant theatrical thing and he wears these like Baroque masks and it's yeah. terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's the Marquis de Sade or something and he's just yes. there to torture people. And we've completely glossed over the Cheryl Dempsey. Cheryl Dempsey? Yep. Perfect victim name by I, the way. It is the perfect victim name. It sounds like a real victim. I'm sorry like that we're totally victimizing right now. We're just like, yep, you have a standard can't get away name. But Yeah, but I mean <laughs> it's in the same way that your final girl will have qualities. It sounds like a name that you would hear on the news. Yeah, like college age girl who yeah. is away from town from her parents and is at the big university and maybe doesn't have a boyfriend and lives in an apartment that's off campus and drives there every night and then maybe gets kidnapped one night and no. then ends up in the paper. And Cheryl Dempsey sure had a boyfriend. Oh my god. We don't really see it, but he is 
well, we see him stalking them throughout the house, but... Which is the scariest part about this. It isn't oh. what he does to her boyfriend or that she gets kidnapped. It's that we watch these tapes for about five or six minutes where he is in the house while she's having a shower. He sets the camera up in her room and then, like, hides in the closet. And then the boyfriend comes home. He brings her ice cream. They drink beer. They maybe have sex. Have a nap. They Netflix and chill. Back before Netflix and chill. Exactly. But hours pass. Yeah, he's in the house for a very long time. And then at some point, just stomps this kid's head in. And then puts his organs and his intestines all over the Christmas tree. Apparently puts his balls inside somebody's uh, underwear drawer. Whatever that means. But uh, she is now his prisoner for years. Yeah, and then the next scene is, that's what's so weird about it. Because he just does things that seem really erratic. But but they're so... supposed to seem erratic is yeah, the problem, right? And... Like He is the serial killer who breaks M.O.s. He is the one guy you'd never be able to catch. I feel like he's just, the whole thing is just toying with people. Yeah. And... Her, for some reason, he just tortures her. And we see this really uncomfortable scene right after he's captured her where he's got her, like, hogtied. Yeah. And he's just berating her and yelling at her and... He's trying to get her to admit that she doesn't have a name. Yeah. That she is his slave. And she goes by slave. And it's just this deep programming. Yeah. That's done in such a raw way that, I mean, we're all familiar with cults and deprogramming as a tool that they use and brainwashing yeah, people. Yeah, like but breaking your mind, breaking see, yourself, rebuilding you back To up. see it done for the sake of horror in like this gritty, raw, found footage style is not like anything I've seen before. And it it's creepy in a way that like I spit on your grave is creepy it just feels wrong like you are to witness, watch you're witnessing yes. something yeah you feel guilty paying for this for entertainment you're like yeah. oh my god I need to erase my browser history <laughs> yeah based on how hard you want to scrub yourself it's like this is an exploitation film like you are bearing witness to something you are a guilty party by actually just watching it it is essentially the closest you could get to like a snuff film not that that's something anybody actually wants to see I would say that this is faux snuff Ugh. It's genre snuff. I mean, it is... We are not selling this. Uh, well, it is politely packaged in a cop documentary drama. But that's also interesting commentary, too, because with the rise of true crime interests, I mean, making a murder is for entertainment. Yeah, and what entertainment are we really getting out of that? There there are people that were literally killed. Murdered. And we are and enjoying maybe it. also wrongfully in incarcerated. So there's just... But we're... <sighs> See, that, that, honestly, that is a topic that I really appreciate. And there are movies like Serbian Film, which actually approach that. Because, like, I mean, the idea at the end of it is, like, who the fuck would watch a movie where a kid is raped and tortured and killed? Like, you did! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you did. Congrats. Like, whether or not it's real or fake, you just did. Yeah. I don't even know how to respond to that. Yeah, how do we come back from that? How do we defend the genre now? <laughs> um, but that's not the case. I mean, it is all a piece of art. It is very interesting. It's perfect. I love the idea that it is something that actually gets a response out of me. Even now, having seen it multiple times. Yeah, I mean, there is a scene... Do we uh, do we want to spoil this film? Normally we spoil in the head-to-head. -head. I think you guys have probably had a chance to see it. We've talked enough about it that I think if we hold back now, I don't really think... Yeah, well, they end up finding Cheryl Dempsey. She's in a coffin-like box that's being used as a coffee table in his house. Yeah. Um, in his actual house. One of the other most unsettling scenes in and the movie. And she's still alive, and she's got this doll mask on yes and you can see she's breathing under it and then we cut to an interview with cheryl after she's recovered and she's been returned back to her family and 
she's this meek, thin, frail woman who is suffering from this extreme case of PTSD. Like, I don't even know what else you could call it, because PTSD doesn't even sound right. And Stockholm Syndrome also doesn't sound right. No, it's it, this really extreme version of both of those. Yeah, she is. she's unable to answer any of their questions, because she's never had to think for herself. She doesn't know what to say. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know what you want me to say. That's a yeah. whole interview. Tell and me what you want me to long. say. Yeah. And it's too long. And you're like, get this poor girl, like, an adult. So, like, and she a- needs somebody to sit next to her. And a, a brilliant moment in that is where she's having a hard time answering questions and she's nervous and she scratches her head. And that is the first time we realize that she doesn't have a fucking hand. <sighs> so unsettling. <laughs> it is such a dark film. Especially when afterwards she says, like, I think I'm going to be okay. Or she says something like, along. he's coming back to me or he That's loves ex- me. Yeah, exactly. I, he loves me. Nobody wants me to say it out loud, but he does. Yeah, and he's coming back. And she has kind of this half smile. And we freeze frame on it only to see text that says Cheryl Dempsey took her own life weeks after this interview. Ugh. Right. Well, because and you know that, too, because for the entire film... We're getting interviews from her friends and her mother. Past tense. Exactly. And then you discover halfway through the film, like, oh my god, she survived this incident? What? And they'd be talking about it, and like, nobody suffered as much as Cheryl Dempsey did. And then you find out she survived, which is a huge shock for how they've set it up. Mm -hmm. But she only gets one brief interview, and then we go back to the same interviews where they're talking about her in past tense. Yeah, and they just pull that carpet out from underneath. It's really well done structurally as a film, because they use them talking about her in past tense to make what happens later on in the film a shock. Mm-hmm. But then it comes full circle when you realize she, she commits suicide and that's also a shock. Like it, It's just really well structured. Yeah, honestly, uh, if you guys are true crime fans, there's a chance you've seen a documentary called Dear Zachary, which I think is oh. a film that does that same technique poorly. Now, it gets me. It got me when I watched it, but the whole time afterward, I felt fucking cheated. It's like... Domino. All of a sudden, they sh- they show you something, and then they and say, then, "Oh, by the way, happened. that never happened." Like, <laughs> fuck you for putting me through that shit, and then trying to put it under the guise of, "Oh, but it's a film. We can do what so we want." So you also hated the usual suspects, then? No. Ba-doom-ching! Because here's the, here's here's the thing. That whole thing is a story somebody is telling. What is Domino? Is Domino a series of interviews? What? No, I think she's just, like, telling a story. Is she in an interrogation room? I don't know. I think she's just, she's like, shitting ya. <laughs> <laughs> shitting ya. Have I been wrong about Domino this whole time? I don't think I liked it. Uh, it's it's the camera work. I mean, eh. But, um... My name is Domino Harvey. But, uh, yeah, no, I don't like it in Dear Zachary, where all of a sudden you find out, like, oh, and by the way, this is when you died, and he's been narrating to a dead kid the whole time. <laughs> it just doesn't necessarily work in the way that the Poughkeepsie tapes totally pulls it off. It is a Dear brilliant... Zachary's true, though, so, I mean, we should give that some credit. It's a very sad story, and it's very dark. You're making it very hard to criticize things right now, but I'm you're sorry. Right. Yes, I guess it's a little bait-and-switchy for a documentary film, but... Man, did that resonate with me when I first saw it. I bawled for, like, hours. (laughs) (laughs) Hours. What is it about always trying to find the deepest, darkest film? Like, you gotta get a cry out. You know, that's exactly what it is. Sometimes, you know, it just depends on the type of person you are. You need a romantic comedy to cry it out afterwards and feel better. Uh, We just need a horrible documentary to remind us that life is awful to appreciate what we have once we turn it off. I think it's also, too, about, like, connecting with humanity. Okay. I think those of us that seek the darker side or try to find a full scope of it, which is kind of sad, but not really. There's something kind of beautiful in that, I think. Maybe. 
Um, so this guy also likes to see girls pop balloons. Yeah, <laughs> what's up with that, right? I think this was the first time we had ever heard of that being like a, a fetish thing. And now, well, not that I'm seeking it out, but since then, like, I've come to realize that it is a, there is a group of people out there that really appreciate but I that. think that this too is just also something else that he's adopted like the way he kills people and how it's always different this is something that some people use for sexual gratification but if the other person involved isn't consenting to it it's degrading and it's another form of torture because it's shameful and it's very uncomfortable and it's creepy for the person who's being made to do that like the woman that we watch pop the balloon isn't into it. I think she's probably a prostitute he's hired and will probably end up murdering. Isn't that one of the last scenes in the movie, too? It's the, one of the first scenes and one of the last scenes. Where she pops the balloon and just, like, the shocked look on her face is what we freeze frame on and zoom into. It, you know, it's this movie that's always made me assume that balloon popping is secretly a dark fetish. In the same way that tickling is probably also a very dark I agree dark with fetish. you, but I do not think that's the killer's actual fetish. Okay. I think he's adopting the sexual fetish like he adopts different ways of murdering people because it's just another tool in his arsenal to torture people. Huh. It's the same way I don't think kidnapping somebody and making somebody a personal slave is something he does because he wants to have a slave. I think it's just something new and something different and a way to keep things fresh and not being boring for him. I, you know, you're, you're onto something because the thing I always try and figure out when I watch this movie is why Cheryl Dempsey? Like, is there a reason? Because yeah, it seems like he is the type of killer who would not necessarily kidnap and and keep somebody for years. And he's also not the kind of killer that would do X or Y, but he does all of them. Yeah, well, the best thing about this is that at the end of the movie, I don't think we've learned anything about the killer at all other no. than what he's done. Yeah. I don't think we get into his brain at all. Yeah, I think I think you need to catch them in order to do that. But, you know, he gives them everything. They find the house because he left it for them. There wasn't a goddamn fingerprint, a hair, nothing. Just a Cheryl Dempsey and a box of DVDs. So the best part of the film comes at the very very ending and they're talking about meta style they're talking about the release of this film like the keepsie tapes as a documentary yeah going to theaters and that he would very likely see this film yeah they're going they said the police say they're going to watch the release of this movie very closely because there's no way he could resist not seeing it in the theater over and over again what a great line to go out on can you imagine seeing this film for the first time and then them serving you that moment especially would, after an hour and a half of feeling so just like there would agitated. not be a single person in the theater who did not look behind their shoulder at right? that moment right to find somebody sitting alone like for the poor man that goes to see that film alone <laughs> in the back uh, <laughs> i think we've been talking about this film far too long we never did ratings it's hard though because this film hasn't had a lot of reviews so it's currently sitting at a 6.1 out of 10 on IMDb, and it's got a 50% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Some people just can't handle it. People I'm don't say like that. found footage. It's, it is what it is. It's also dark. Like, it's, this is a kind of movie that uh, yeah, I, people would walk out of the theater on this. If, if this had if a they didn't know what release. it was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's your rating, then? Four out of four. <laughs> Fuck yes. Four out of four. It's hard because of how this film was discovered and how I've come to enjoy it kind of factors into how much I love it. Mm. And I don't know if had I have just seen this movie if I would love it so much. It's definitely in my top three found footage films. It's probably my top ten horror films. Is that because be it's kind of a 
community like an in movie like it's it's very niche and there's kind of just i can almost grade a person's preference or taste in horror movies by whether or not they've seen this because it's like oh you're the kind of person that'll seek out something that you can't find anywhere else regardless of whether you liked it or not if you've seen it Something about seeing this movie says a lot to me about you as a horror fan. Well, the fact that we discovered the film the way we did makes it feel more like it is actually a snuff film. Oh, okay, I see. So it adds this extra layer of feeling real when I watch it. We would put in a DVD that had, like, a glue-sticked-on cover. Like, it just... Yeah. It felt dirty and wrong just it's, to be watching it and yeah. then the subject matter is dirty and wrong and meta and the lines are so blurred for for me for so long the lines were blurred watching it that's so and funny. i was just like Ugh. but and then we have this podcast and i was like i have to tell you about this really good movie guys but you can't really get it right now and it's really good but don't think weird of me when you watch it you realize how fucked up it is that's so funny it's true i i almost regret that it has a release because yeah it's like it should have remained this black market back alley movie that could maybe have been real but not like if they had have opened a patreon account and said hey guys uh please just you know whatever you can give us for this movie we won't release it you can stay you have our permission to bootleg it and pass it around oh, as this cool. like ring style movie in fact you know if you pledge more than 50 dollars we'll send you a vhs copy of the movie if this fucking movie was released on vhs we need to do a movie like that well, yeah, but it wouldn't be successful. No, I know. But, but we would live on forever. Just send it out? Yeah. And, like, just find the addresses of, like, the top 400 horror fans and just mail them a VHS of Can the you imagine if The Ring was that? Like, The Ring was this movie that only got circulated by VHS tape and nobody ever mm. made money off of it? That's the future of marketing. People aren't making money off movies anyways. Good point. And, I mean, a lot of the industry now is pay what you can and subscribe whatever. If you got a free tape and then mm. we're like send it to whoever would like it. And, like, this is our Patreon page. Do you not think that the movement would be made? That's the new Blair Witch Project. Wow. That's the new, like, holy fuck, this is changing things movie. I actually have a interesting and dark story that I know very little of. My uncle, back way before I was born, one of his first businesses was a VHS store. And he had a partner in that VHS store. I think at some point they expanded and opened two stores. What is this story? This story is my uncle, who years later was contacted by the police to go testify in court against his partner and why he left that partner's business. Like, he basically just walked away from the video store at one point. This guy bought him out, more or less, and he went on to do something else. But there was always something weird about the co-founder of this VHS chain that they were starting. And he had odd ties to criminal people and there were some rumors that he was either circulating child pornography or snuff films <gasps> yeah and my uncle what was it <laughs> that's the thing i don't know oh. my, my uncle didn't know but he was just like i don't fucking want to know what the hell's going on but you are a really sketchy guy and i'm getting the fuck out of this business and i'm sorry if i'm not supposed to tell that story but like <laughs> it seems like yeah my uncle got the impression that this person was into some shady shit and had nothing wanted nothing to do with it and immediately got out did they have one of those gumball machines, though, where you got a free movie if you got the white gumball? Probably. Was the free movie a snuff? <laughs> <laughs> I should hope not. Oh, man. So, yeah, we've been talking about this movie way too long. Did you give your rating? Four to four, four obviously, four. yeah. Yeah. Um, this could be a two-part episode. Yeah, so next up is As Above, So Below. I think I am. We can't go back. We should just keep moving. Tell me we didn't just go in a circle. It's exactly the same. No, everything's upside down. 
What happened to the entrance? Wait, there's something here. Oh my god. What the hell is this? When I was a kid, we had a piano that looked exactly like this. I used to play it all the time. The A4 key was messed up. to mythology, that's the inscription over the gates of hell. And they should be made to crawl on their bellies to enter the kingdom of darkness. So this film is from 2014. It's currently standing at a 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb, a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 2.5 out of 4 Eberts. It's from 2014. Did I say that? 2014? Mm-hmm. We didn't see this film until 2016. We didn't see it till last year, I Whenever think. it hit Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Well, it was on Netflix. Friggin' think November 1st, they took it off Canadian Netflix. I went to rewatch it. I was so upset. Whatever, they gave us the Friday the 13th films. I'm fine. That is true. And they have really cool, like, promo images. But, um... I was so pleasantly surprised with this film. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't recognize it until we researched it afterwards. We were like, who made this film? It's really mm-hmm. surprisingly competent. Like, Holy shit. Oh my god. They did the fucking Tower God. I mean, they also did Devil, which I didn't really love. And they also did that English remake of Wreck Quarantine that I also didn't really love. They're the ones that did Quarantine? Yeah. Oh, good for them. That's a good guy. I, I, I didn't like it, but I mean, it's... <laughs> Yeah, that's great. You got tapped to do that? Good on you. I think that's just because Wreck is so good. You know what I mean? That's like, the problem, just like, yeah. man, don't touch it. But yeah, I was so surprised with this film. And it's probably the, the most recent modern day horror film that I've watched so many times. I think I've watched it four times now since discovering it like 13 months ago. It was one of those movies that people recommended to us that we went, okay, yeah, sure, but no thanks. Watching the trailers, it just seemed like that Catacombs movie with What's-Her-Face. Or just every other bad found footage movie I didn't want to watch. It did not look like my kind of movie. Which is so funny because I put this on one day because I'm just like, ooh, this looks not great because (laughs) I love trashy horror. Yeah, it was like a full stop. (laughs) Whatever you're doing, pay attention to this movie. And I don't know if it was until like halfway through that I really felt that way. Watching it now, I really like everything leading up to them going into the catacombs. But it's when we start getting into that supernatural world that is underneath the ground in Paris that you start to see some really original takes on that, you know, exploration found footage subgenre. Yeah, what I love most about this movie is that it's this Dan Brown mystery type thing. It's like, it is though. It's like National Treasure with ghosts. Yeah, it is this strange treasure huntery mystery. It's Indiana Jones, but it's a horror film and it's really competent. Oh yeah. The characters aren't disposable. Normally, if you were doing a film like, oh yeah, some super supernatural stuff goes down in the catacombs, normally the people you're following is like, okay, a bunch of teenagers like make their way down there to go drink and have sex, and then <laughs> they break off, and one by one they die by some creepy people that are down there, or whatever else is down there. But we actually get to follow these people who are going to be moderately successful at navigating the puzzles and the traps that are set for them. 
So it's interesting when you're watching these people who you want to see successfully kind of decipher these clues and get out of these this otherwise maze of tunnels. On one hand, they're competent. The main character, Scarlet, she's female Indiana Jones. Yeah. But she's almost like the same as Indiana Jones has bitten off more than she can chew. So on one hand, like, she's really great at carving these puzzles. How is she going to do with this slice of supernatural shit? Yeah. I would argue that maybe the one disposable person is the guy holding the camera. He's yeah. really got no reason to be there. Yeah. Especially... Well, I think he's just a hired cameraman, though, isn't he? Well, which is funny, because in the beginning of the movie, she's going through some sort of uh, ancient tomb in... Is it Ira- Iran? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and so she's got essentially wearing a GoPro. Could have just had a fucking GoPro when she goes into Paris, but whatever. We need somebody to die at some point. And uh, one thing that always bugs me in these movies is... They go into a room, oh my god, the hieroglyphs, or whatever. We're like, we gotta read this. Like, no you don't. You just need to film it with your camera, and then get the fuck out. Like, yeah. there is no, like, the walls are collapsing, we gotta get out. Let me just finish this fucking sentence, man! I don't know what the bird with the arm thing is. Like, you don't need that. Well, she does you that a little bit when the, when the Iran thing is collapsing. She's like, hang on, I just gotta... And you're like, just bring the camera, like, get it yeah, on footage. Yeah, get the fuck out of there. <laughs> um, Other than that, I love it. Whoever her, um, her buddy is, who she's dragged into the tombs with her. George. George. I love George in this movie. I Yeah, I think he's a very believable actor. He's like a really good average guy. Yeah, and he's uh, his form of graffiti is the coolest form of graffiti there is. He breaks into old churches and fixes bells. Is that all he does? I feel like that was just a thing that we caught him doing. I don't know if he necessarily just fixes bells, but he fixes things that are broken that nobody wants to work on because they're too old and they, they don't want to damage them. So while Scarlet is in Iran and the the tunnel collapses, she gets this rose key, which is kind of like the Rosetta Stone. It's going to decipher the code on the back of Nicholas Flamel, who's been toted as being responsible for finding or harnessing the Philosopher's Stone, which is this mythical element of alchemy, which is a stone that can turn base metals into gold and can provide eternal life. The weirdest two things, right? Why does it do those two things? Like, oh, it can turn base metals to gold? That's cool and all. Living forever is way more When this was, like, legend or when this was penned, people were poor and dying early, so... (laughs) The two things they wanted were to not die and not be poor. Exactly. So, uh, Flamel, is this a real dude? Or is this just, like, a fictional guy that we've found written on paper? Um, well, I've only heard about him in this film and Harry Harry Potter. Potter. Okay. So, so I don't have an answer for you. What if this is a shared universe? Um, what if the the Europe that this movie is set in also has a Hogwarts? Oh my god. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to assume it's like he's true, like it's going to be like Da Vinci true kind of like, like Don Quixote where like how... maybe true but also probably just fictional crazy guy chasing down. Yeah, like is. he he could have just been a philosopher and the the philosopher's stone. Oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my only complaint about this movie is that it's a little bit far-fetched and it's a little too fantasy for me, Mm -hmm. but as somebody who doesn't typically go for these kind of fantastical mystery adventures, I love this film in a way I didn't think I would. Yeah, when we first see the ghost, or at least just a really pale, thin girl who catches our attention when we're going into a club to find, was Bruno the guy who's going to lead the expedition? She's not a ghost, John, she's a cultist. Is that what she is? Mm -hmm. Okay, well then this is a perfect segue to the other fucking creepy scene in the movie where they find those goddamn cultists. In the middle of the catacombs. So they go to Paris, they find a guy named Papillon. 
Papillon. Papillon. Papillon. So he's this kind of urban explorer who knows the alternate entrances to the catacombs and knows the... uh, He knows the rooms that aren't filled with water. Well, the blocked off (laughs) tunnels that aren't open to visitors. I love that the one of the the areas that he's like, no, no, totally safe to go down is this little crawl space full of bones. He's like, no, 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 it's great. Go on your elbows so you do not, like, cut your arms. He's French, so that's Uh. my French accent. But So we go in the tunnels with, so we have Scarlet and George who are kind of weird. I rewatched the movie before we uh, <laughs> before we did this podcast. And then her cameraman, I can't remember his name. And then there's Pepion, and he brings two people with him, which is Zed and Susie, or it's like Susie, but it's sure. like Suxi. Yeah, Suxi, that's right. Yeah, I totally forgot about Zed. And they're like these cool, young, hip cave divers, kind of. <laughs> yeah, you know, we dive in caves, and then we have a cigarette, and then we... <laughs> and we dive some more caves. Maybe a baguette before our cigarette. <laughs> this is kind of an assumption about French people. <laughs> So they go to this cool entrance to the cave. They go down these these old train tracks. And it's basically like a hole under a bridge. And they're like, yeah, it's in here. And George doesn't want to go because he's like, nope, not having any part of this. But then a police officer comes. And he's and forced ch- to go down. And chases them in. And then the, the French bandits that they've hired set off some like smoke bombs. And they're stuck in the catacombs. And they have to go forward to get out. Yeah, it's kind of like eating your way out of a cake. Like, you have to go deeper in to get to the other side. And man, do they end up going fucking deep. So pretty early on in the film, one of the tunnels collapses behind them, so they really cannot go back. It's not Mm -hmm. just like, oh, we have to wait out a police officer. They're ultimately looking for the... Flamel's something. Yeah, like like a tomb or um, secret room that they believe he set up because the... The tombstone they found has this, like, riddle poem that leads them to believe the stone is hidden within the catacombs, and they think that maybe where his gravesite is is directly over the tomb that they made to hide the stone. Mm -hmm. But when they align the maps, there's no catacombs underneath him, but there's one that goes right by, so they think if they can get close to it, they can kind of find a tunnel entrance to the secret room. But shit just, like, kind of goes crazy right away. So they end up walking past this room of crazy cultist women. They're, like, witch cultists. That is one of the most unsettling things Who this are shrieking movie. this, like, scary operatic hymn. So what I absolutely love about this is that it's like they're using the catacombs. They're using their voices to resonate through the catacombs like this dark organ. Like, this whole thing is an organ. In the way that the organs of old churches were basically built into the actual church. Like, the acoustics of the organ was the building. Their voices, the chorus of each of them sort of shrieking and and singing is resonating through all of the halls. And it kind of just permeates each scene as they go from room to room. It's fucking crazy. And I actually read an interview with the Dowdle brothers, I think back when this film premiered at Mm Comic-Con, or when they were just talking about it at Comic-Con, on how they were trying to find organic ways to score the film. No way. And because they wanted this to be true found footage, they didn't want to cut away to like any crane shots or anything that wasn't organic to the scene. Plus, they actually filmed this in the catacombs. They're the first film to get permission to do so. So they didn't have the liberty of, like, extra electricity or being able to fit cameramen. Like, the actors lit and filmed their scenes because of it was actually that tight. But they used the cultists to score the film because that music kind of appears throughout the film in weird and creepy ways. Yeah. It was actually really interesting. I read... 
about how they made organic sounds of the tunnels themselves to give it this like unnatural unnerving feel that could maybe like reach you subconsciously in some way yeah they recorded themselves screaming like at the top of their lungs and then they slowed it down like a thousand times amazing and that the resonance of the the oh sounds great yeah (laughs) Guys, why do you not like this movie? Holy <laughs> shit. I mean, a lot of it's real skeletons, so if you want to, like, if you're into that stuff, I yeah. mean, you can watch this film and it's actually in the catacombs, like tunnels that you would never be able to visit yourself because they're blocked off by the government. Yeah. <laughs> there were tunnels that they said had graffiti from World War II in there, like Hail wow. Hitler graffiti. And Wow. Well, I, I guess you could assume it's from World War II. Well, that they well they were they had guides and stuff. They said like nobody's oh. been in this tunnel since World War Two. So, <laughs> um, and there was tunnels that they're like, oh no, you can't film in here today. This one's gonna collapse. And it was like the night before. <laughs> and they're like, okay. How do you know that this one's scheduled to collapse? Flamel and <laughs> sent us a letter from the eternity. But yeah, it's just a really awesome film because it's so claustrophobic, but. You go from, like, people crawling through holes that are, like, shoulders wide to, like, expansive rooms. Was there a plan with these fucking catacombs? They're like, no, we're going to make this one 12 feet high and 10 feet wide. And the next one, like, shoulders, I guess. Shoulders. Yeah. It is, yeah, it's bizarre. It's essentially the underground mall version of the Winchester home. (laughs) Yes. There are just skulls that lead to nowhere. And that piano that shows up for Georgie? Is that what you said his name was? George. George. But she's, like, English, so she's like, George... Josh, that piano that shows up is an unsettling scare in this movie and requires nothing. Well, because all of the entrances into that room that they're in were really fucking tiny. Yeah. So impossible to have a piano there. Good point. I'm trying to think of that term you like to use. Small impossibility. Small impossibility. This whole film is a small impossibility. That's I think that's why I enjoy it so much. Maybe, yeah. So he he recognizes the piano from childhood, and it's old, and it's got cobwebs all over it, and one key doesn't work. And, you know, sure enough, when he goes to play that little line, it stops. And it's just, like, that's such a great thing to show that, like, oh, we are somewhere that is completely unnatural. Something that is also tapping into our psyche. Well, right? and because immediately after he does that, he doesn't go, like, what? He just goes, like, what is happening? Or he says, where are we? yeah. And it's a really creepy moment, and it it's really poetic, because then immediately after that, a telephone rings, and you're like, why is there a phone down here? And then right, they're hunting down right. this telephone, and then this character from um, the French bandits, Papillon and his crew, La Taupe, that's French for the mole, which is this guy that they learned a lot about the catacombs from because he just lived down there for years and Mm -hmm. he went in this bad tunnel and never came out and they thought he'd just gotten lost down there and now they found him and he kind of becomes their guide. He's showing them the way out. But the only way out is down. Right. Just like, can you imagine being led around by, let's call him a demon. Who gives a fuck? Being led by some demon, this demonic He's not a force. demon. He's not a demon, but he is evil as shit. Well, he's definitely undead. Yeah, oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Splitting hairs here. But I think he's still him. Like, I think he's you stuck think so? there because the first thing he says when they find him is like, you never came looking for me. But I, I think it's that it's a guilt that they have. Oh, like you think that they're kind of creating him? I think so, yeah. Which is also ultimately so terrifying when he kills one of them. Mm. Like, they are so... I don't want to say grief-stricken over the fact that they've left their friend, but it's haunted them. And now here is this physical representation of that haunting mm. feeling that they have. That's true, because he was closer to her. Like, because he yeah. said, like, Susie, you never came looking for me. Right? Mm. And his eyes never... are, like, blacked out throughout this whole thing. Well, and they kind of glow, like, 
like a rat's wood in the dark. Like a mole. Yeah, which is cool. And he's got goggles on, and he's been living down there, like when you assume when they find him, he's been living down there in the complete darkness for a year. Yeah. So you're like, what is he eating? Rats. Yeah, so, (laughs) um, yeah, uh, very creepy. So all the while through, um, kind of going through these tunnels, they end up at a dead end to which she finds some raven thing or whatever. And then there's some riddles that they solve, which is like fun when you watch them for the first time. But the second time you're like, let's get to some scares. They end up in the tomb of Nicholas Flamel, Mm -hmm. who is like completely preserved in yeah, like he's been dead for maybe a few minutes. Yeah, like fresh and dead. And they do this thing where to to find the extra room or the the actual room, they all have to turn off their lights. And there's like a really fresh, looks like he's gonna get up and walk away corpse there. <laughs> and it's it's just really creepy. Like it's really effectively creepy. And that scene is very Indiana Jones, but I have never seen them do it in a way that's so scary. It's just really well written. And then when we get to the tomb, uh, Flamel's tomb, where the stone is, it's very National Treasury. Yeah, I know it is. They're like, ooh, we got the stone, we solved the riddle. And then they break open, the bandits are trying to take the treasure. And then the wall collapses, because that was all a trap. So afterwards, they've gotten through the collapsed area, and she sees that sculpture, the As Above, So Below sculpture, and... What she realizes is that there's a door carved into the ceiling. Mm. So she realizes that the floor is also a door, so it's another way out. And so she smacks the ground, which I guess is like thin rock, and there's another tunnel down there. And then they go down. And then everything is a backwards version of what was up above. Yeah, they're kind of making their way through the tunnel that they came in, but it's a mirrored image. Everything is backwards. And the body of Nicholas Flamel is there, but it's withered and rotted. Yeah, it's completely different. So we get the impression, like, we know right away that this is the exact same, but different. I don't know if I can, like, sell that a better Well, way. yeah, like, it's, it's like that door, the as above, so below door is like a threshold that they pass. Yeah, and now we're in this photo-negative world where if you were, like, as creepy as shit's been, if you were safe back there, you might not be here. Yeah, and I mean, this is where the film gets a little complicated complicated because there's a lot of different mythology i mean there's at one some point, exposition they pass through the meta like the the rumored gates of hell there's a really cool line where she quotes i guess the bible and like and they were made to crawl on their bellies and the tunnel is really narrow yeah and it's just like really creepy moments and i don't quite know how all the mythology fits together because i don't 100 percent know what happens here well i think a lot of it's probably from dante's inferno um, especially because I'm almost positive at some point there's like an abandon all hope, ye who enter here yeah. kind of quote, which is all from Dante. Also in Dante, we have Virgil, who is essentially our guide, bringing us through the forest and into the, okay. the pits, which I think is exactly who um, Latope, is, Latope supposed is supposed to be, more or less. But Virgil, at least in Dante, is, is a character that you can kind of trust. He's also a poet, but... Um, yeah, I think a lot of it has some sort of relation to that. But whenever you have these biblical stories where we are going through passages and we are trying to make our way through an unknown area, it's kind of hard not to at least see those connections to Dante, yeah. whether they're there or not. Well, and I mean, this film does actually have psychological connections. They're in hell, but they're also battling their psychological demons right. in these like haunting paranormal ways but so uh, people have kind of been dying at this point (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the cameraman got pushed down the well by um, that creepy cultist girl who appeared way far away really impossible creepy happens and 
this is kind of where it loses me a little bit because George gets like injured by a demon thing and the stone isn't working in this like upside down world that they're in and then she realizes that she has to make it right so she goes and puts the stone that she found in the upright world yeah together in the upside down world and then she becomes the stone saying this like it just sounds a little like fantasy for me it just sounds a little i don't really understand it i wish that part made more sense to me or i wish it was more vague because it's it's just not vague enough that i'm like i feel like i should be understanding this and i don't really care to i agree the philosopher's stone part is actually probably the least interesting part about it uh it, it leads to some of the most fantastic stuff in this movie but you're right and it's you know maybe it's just the idea that you need a stone to heal people in this world in here you can be that stone it's like having the Midas touch which also kind of I guess leads to turning metals into gold and stuff but yeah she has that ability now I don't like that she is a person who just knows everything and figures everything out very quickly that is always a complaint of mine it well like i mean it is a little one note successful like i mean she's she's perfectly successful at like everything that she encounters puzzle wise but i love kind of how rash she is because that's the thing where i was saying that she's kind of like in over her head but she doesn't really recognize it like mm-hmm. they're in the the first puzzle that they have to solve is um the ptolemaic hinge it's like an egyptian thing where they have to pull out one stone it has to be the right stone otherwise the oh, ceiling yeah, yeah. collapses yeah, 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 yeah. and they just they figure out that it's the number of planets that existed and then they're trying to go back and be like wait no wait, what who believed in this and blah, blah, blah. and then they realize like oh well they thought the world or everything revolved around the earth so the earth doesn't count as a planet and she's just ready to grab a stone and they're like wait no she's like six no seven no and yeah. they, they get it right but she's so ready to just pull a stone and kill Any them all stone, yeah that's because she's she's hungry for it right that's her weakness is that she is willing to do anything and abandon everybody and any like herself for this like she is yeah she's rash and irrational and people tell her that at the beginning of the movie too like they just say like you're just like your father and your father was just as bad and it ultimately his expedition and exploration for the philosopher's stone is what drove him to his own dark end mm-hmm. i what do you think about her darkness being that she didn't answer the phone when her dad called the night he killed himself um I don't know. I like the phone. I think yeah, the I love cool. the phone, and I like I like the imagery of this film. Like George's little brother drowned, and at one point they're crawling through the bones in the upside down, which they had done upstairs. And there's You're water. It the upside down. <laughs> it is the upside down. But yeah, there's like the the ghost of his brother is under the bones in yeah, water yeah, under yeah. like glass. It's pretty cool. And Papillon, his is his friend died in a car crash and at one point they enter this room and there's a blazing car and this undead guy just fucking grabs him pulls, pulls him, him in and he pulls into the ground and then his just legs sticking out of yeah the... like drag me to hell style right so many like cool and creepy images it is a little too fantasy for me, but it's still effectively creepy. I think I just wanted it to be a little bit more vague. But here's the thing. What I genuinely love about this movie, like what really sits with me every single time I watch it, is that I need more. We get to the end. We take off the sewer grate, which is on the ground, oh, by so the way. So well done. Right? Like we have like this, you are crawling down to then come up out of the sewer into Paris and everything's fine. It just, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I need to know what kind of world they're walking into now. Like, this is like a 28 days, 28 weeks later situation. Like, I need to know more about that world. Oh, you think they're in an upside-down world? I think they definitely are. They cannot be. You think that the upside-down is only in the tombs? Yeah, like, I think that shit is just wrong down there. 
and that they've found an escape because they've like atoned for their sins. I don't know. See, and that's the thing. Like, it could just as easily be that, but I'm not sure. Maybe everything is the same in this world except for one small thing. Maybe that one small thing is that they walk around free of guilt and they've atoned for their sins. Like, that's the one difference in this world. But it could be anything. Like, maybe she has those fucking abilities still. Who knows? Yeah, see, that's something you're, too, you're like, wait, is she just the Philosopher's Stone now? Yeah. But I wanted to talk a little bit about that final shot, because it... I've watched it so many times, and I still don't know how they've done it. <laughs> um, it maybe, the, like, Paris behind them is some kind of green screen, but the physical acting when they come out of the sewer, because they climb out of the sewer... Mm-hmm. With, backwards yep yep and then they are going like down yeah. on the ground and even the first shot when they you see throw them. the camera out of the sewer the camera's upside down and it like it it's i know brilliant. it's not one shot but it looks like it's one shot it's done really well and I, it, I do love when they take the sewer grate off and you're seeing the night sky in the floor oh it's brilliant yeah brilliant. and you can see the trees and stuff it's just really really well done yeah. that final moment is that weird impossibility that i friggin love in movies and I don't think I've seen it done better than that sewer grate scene where they have to push it off and yeah. outside and they're on the ground. Like, it's just this labyrinth-esque world that they're leaving. Yeah, I think that's what does it for me. I think that's what makes me rate this movie so high and not just any other movie where we go into a tunnel, some crazy shit happens, and then we finally escape. Yeah. Because they could just as easily have escaped, like, a normal tunnel. But having this weird element where we are upside down before we get to the real world is brilliant. But one of the moments I love most about this movie has nothing to do with any of the paranormal stuff in the tunnels. It's at the very end when the three of them make it out alive, so it's uh, Scarlet, George, and, and then Zed. one of the guys that Papillon brought, Zed, who was kind of a throwaway character who's made it out. They're all dirty, they're wet, they're tired, exhausted, they've lost people. Oh, yeah. And they all share, like, a three-way hug, and they're, yeah. like, they're yeah, yeah, so yeah. relieved that they made it out. And then Zed gives them his headlamp and just wanders off, because you're like, they don't even know this guy. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. It's just, like, so much in that moment is just, like, I, I need to know how they live the rest of their lives. Yeah, like, what do you do? Moment. Do you get coffee with this guy? Like, no, you, you never see him again because he's a stranger to you. Yeah. Things just go back to the real world because in the real world, he's not going to come to their kid's christening because you no. know that George and Scarlett are getting together after this. Oh, it's happening. But, um... It's kind of really bleak yeah. that he just walks away and he's alone now because he's lost Papillon, he's lost Susie, like, he's alone. Yeah, he's lost everybody. More than anything else, like, this world is the same, but because of what they just went through, like, their they'll lives never are be the same. Yeah. Uh, it's just a really good ending. I, I Yeah, the fantasy stuff loses me a little bit, but I think it's a, re it's a really successful film. Yeah. I'm surprised a lot of people don't like it. Maybe they get lost in the fantasy stuff as well. Maybe. I think... There's a big barrier for found footage. I honestly forget in this movie that it's found footage. I yeah. think it's done in a way that it it doesn't take me out of the film. Well, you're in the tunnels with them. Like, if there were long tracking shots and the camera never moved, it would probably just be boring. Well, and most found footage films are really campy. I mean, we tried to watch The Pyramid recently because we were actually going to pair The Pyramid with this film. The worst part about that fucking movie is that it's not all found footage. No, it's got weird, just like, oh, there's another camera here. You're like, who's operating it? Yeah. Like, and, and then you're thinking about it, and you're like, if I'm thinking about how you're doing the scene, like, you've, you've, you've lost, you've me, lost yeah. me. As a, as an audience in found footage, like, as soon as I'm asking, like, where's that music coming from? Who has, whose camera am I watching now? Then you failed. Yeah, if... 
if you're gonna alternate from found footage to just like standard approach, you should not be doing like a lot of handheld shots in yeah. your standard approach. The majority it looks of like your film footage. should be like a seamless film, and then maybe you use found footage elements to like add flair to your film. I'm really curious to see how you rate the film, but I feel like I always ask you first, which makes me fear that I'm gauging my response on what you say. So what is your rating of the film, John? I'm going to say three out of four. Uh, I actually want to make it higher, but I've thought about it a lot, and it's uh, I really want to say 3.5 out of four. Fuck it, I'm doing it. Because like there are some fan footage movies that I would rate three out of four that I'd like quite a bit less than this movie. Yeah, I, I think if it weren't for some of those points that we were talking about earlier with the fantasy elements and maybe just like the exposition of her knowing everything and solving stuff immediately, I'd probably make it four out of four. The, the spins and the takes the filmmakers put on this found footage subgenre makes this such a brilliant movie, and I could watch it again at any time. So whether or not that's very high, I'm saying 3.5 out of four. Uh, I'm a four out of four. Yeah, that's yeah. okay. That's... I know I did have some complaints about the film, but I think it's far too successful in what it is for it not to be anything but a four. Yeah. I, I have found footage films are such a dime a dozen and they're so disposable. And this one actually has some real mythology behind it. And they created a world that you want to see more of. And that mm -hmm. should be what found footage is. Like I was saying, Cloverfield, you want to see all of Clover. And this world, you want to see all of the mythology behind the Philosopher's Stone. But you don't get to because you only get to see what the camera points at. And we only get this tiny glimpse of this experience that they've had. And the fact that when it ends, you're just like, oh, fuck. Like, what? what is this life that they're living now? Yeah, I can't I, I can't understand the world they live in. I think about the end of this movie like uh, like Time and Punishment in the Treehouse of Horror episode with the magical toaster. They, they bring them over to different worlds. <laughs> Take it for a test toast. Yeah, like, everything's normal, but in Don't the morning squish, when it starts to rain. Squish. Yeah, exactly. There's just donuts going from the sky. I wish, I wish I hadn't killed that fish. <laughs> what if this was a world where everybody was exactly the same, but they had lizard tongues? See, I don't agree with you there. I think that they're in the they're in the right world. Okay. I think that they've righted things, even though where they come out is impossible. What if the world we're living in is not the right world, and they've gone on to some sort of alternate reality, Shangri-La, where everything is essentially the same, but better? I suppose, but like <laughs> I said, I think... <laughs> That that has not occurred, and I think that's what's impossible about the catacombs and what's paranormal about what's down there is that they went down and went down, I think they went down like a thousand feet, and for them to end back up in Paris, the streets of Paris, proves that what's down there isn't a physical realm of the world. Yeah. They left it at some point, and when they were, they thought they were physically going down, they were just getting deeper in the tunnels. I love this movie. I really, really like this movie. But unfortunately, based on math alone, the Poughkeepsie Tapes is our winner this week. You know what? I think after talking about both, I would probably pick As Above, So Below. Are you fucking kidding? Yeah. You would pick that over the Poughkeepsie Tapes? Yep. Wow. I want to throw this to you guys out on Twitter then. I need to know which of these two movies you think is the better film. I have a pretty good idea that we are getting votes for the Poughkeepsie Tapes, but I think there's a stronger possibility I, more that you have, have not seen, seen it. Yeah. yeah, more people have seen As Above, So Below, so it'll be interesting. And we haven't put a poll up on Twitter in a while, so I'm really excited to see how this goes down. Yeah, it's been a lot of drive home from the drive-ins and fe festival reviews. But... Yeah, well, October is crazy for horror releases. I mean, we're, oh, we've got man. a bit of a lull now, so we've got a few head-to-heads to come out. We have a found footage head-to-head -head that we recorded months ago that we haven't been able to release yet. Funny thing about that, I was sick when we recorded that one. <laughs> so so I sound like a boring asshole. That's great. It'll make up for my crappy October. <laughs> That's okay. 
head over to our Twitter poll right now at NOFS Podcast and vote. But that's it from us this week. Thanks again for listening, guys. We'll be back at you again next Thursday with another episode, so be sure to subscribe so you can catch it in your feed. And head over to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street to find out about all the bonus content and swag you can get for supporting the show for as little as 50 cents per episode. And if you haven't checked out our website in a little bit, it is thriving with tons of new content and articles from all of our awesome contributors. We put up new articles every day with reviews and news and all kinds of stuff. That's at www.nofspodcast.com. That's it, guys. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreet.com podcast.com until next week stay creepy fiends <laughs>